We are starting off the show, though, talking about the update from Health Canada. Officials there saying a large supply of children's ibuprofen and acetaminophen is expected to start showing up on pharmacy and retail shelves next week. We heard earlier today from Dr. Supriya Sharma on this. We've now received and approved three proposals to import foreign product and supply has started to enter the country. After next week, more than 1 million bottles of product will have entered Canada to supply hospitals, community pharmacies, and retailers, and medications will start appearing on store shelves starting early next week. That again was Dr. Supriya Sharma speaking earlier today. As you know, hospitals, pharmacies, parents with sick children have been grappling with that shortage of children's Tylenol and Advil since spring. And with flu and cold season upon us, as well as the continuing pandemic, it has been very difficult for many. Well, joining us now to talk more about this is Dr. Anna Wolak, a family physician, also an assistant professor at UBC. Dr. Wolak, thank you so much for being with us again. Uh, thank you for having me. What are you seeing and hearing about uh, the shortage of this medications and the impact that's having? Well, I'm seeing and hearing from a lot of my fellow parent friends, from parent groups, from patients. It's really, really hard to find children's um, Tylenol or Advil on the shelves. Um, there's there are a lot of social networking that says, oh, this pharmacy has it. And what's nice is a lot of the parenting groups have stepped up and said, I have Advil if anybody needs it. So we're relying on some sort of underground network at the moment to find children's Tylenol and Advil. But what I'm doing with my own patients is I'm teaching them how to, I'm having to teach them how to dose for their children, um, their appropriate weight to dose like adults. Um, acetaminophen or ibuprofen and how to cut it up and how to dose it for their kids for when they need it and if they cannot find any um, children formulation. I'm glad you brought that up because I've seen that mentioned as well and some concerns especially if we're talking about tablets that don't have the score line in them or if somebody's not cutting them in the right way. Uh, how, How concerning might that be though if somebody is trying to use adult medications and making them and making sure they have the right dose for a child? Oh, definitely. I always tell my patients, you know, it has to be scored. You have to use the pill cutter. You have to do this properly and carefully. And this should be a last resort sort of thing. It's like, you know, try to see if you can find a pharmacy where they will compound the medications for you. Ask around in your parent groups. And if push comes to shove and you really cannot get anything, then make sure you're weighing your child properly and their scored tablets. Don't use the easy swallow ones or the rapid melt ones that will have special coating. So definitely, this is not something that people should be doing on their own. This needs to be under guidance from your family doctor, your pharmacist, nurse practitioner, um, pediatrician. Uh, we know the uh, announcement today, the 1 million bottles of medication that have already come in and expecting some more uh, international foreign supply of children's, uh, again, the ibuprofen and the acetaminophen. Is there any difference in getting the the foreign supply of these drugs? Because as well, I know there are parents that are driving across the border and uh, getting them in Washington state as well. Is there any difference when we're talking about drugs that are sourced from from different countries? So the first thing that comes up is initially brand names, for sure. That would be, and we see this as well, that, that medications are diff, can be different. So 
There, even here, acetaminophen, most of us will call it Tylenol, but there's also Tempra, which is a brand name that's available in, in both the Canada and in, uh, both in Canada and the U.S. But the one thing that I am cautioning parents and, rem- and letting, making sure parents know is when the, we know that the acetaminophen products are coming from Australia. Now, in Australia, what is known as acetaminophen in Canada and in the U.S. is actually known as paracetamol in Australia. So it's the same molecule, but the generic name is different. I know Health Canada has said that they're going to release handouts and, and, and labeling and instructions and that, but it's, it's something to, to look out for when it's on the shelf and it's listed on the shelf as children fever and pain medicine and it says paracetamol. It's, that is acetaminophen and it is the same as Tylenol. But if there's any uncertainty, make sure you talk to the pharmacist because I don't know what the dosing equivalents would be as well and you know how many milligrams per milliliters those would be different so if you're used to something a standard dose that you give with Tylenol you always need to make sure once you're changing brand that you're giving the correct dose for your child's weight. All right that's good advice or good that people can look out for that. What about if somebody with these shortages say they have some children's Tylenol or acetaminophen and they have some children's ibuprofen and if somebody is running low are there risks or issues if you mix them? So there you need to talk to your physician but physicians and pharmacists as well. So we will give advice sometimes about you know if if you're giving Tylenol or acetaminophen, you can give acetaminophen now, and then a few hours later, you can balance out with ibuprofen. But again, that needs to be under medical direction. Um, but yeah, some people will only have two or three doses left in one bottle and another dose or two in the other bottle. And, um, you know, you call 811, call your pharmacist, call your physician just to make sure you're doing the correct thing by your kid. Um, but certainly there's, there's no, it, it, it's something we're, we're at a point where we are getting a, a bit desperate. So this influx of foreign products is certainly quite welcome. Okay. And, and what are you hearing as well? And I know we've been talking uh, to parents who have been at BC Children's Hospital and other children's hospitals as well, who have talked about their frustration. We've seen very long wait times at that hospital. Earlier this week, we heard from the health minister as well as Dr. Bonnie Henry. They said that one of the options parents can do is calling 811 and finding out if they really need to go to the emergency room. Uh, it kind of felt like that was their way of saying they're, they're there could potentially be people at the hospital who don't need to be at the hospital. But what is your advice when we see these long wait lists, wait times at Children's Hospital? So one of the things that I have been telling parents preemptively as well is I will, no matter what their child is in for when they're coming in to see me, if they're in for a sprained ankle or something, I will still talk to them about, look, we know that these respiratory viruses are going around. These are the signs and symptoms I want you to look out for, and this is where you would take when you would take them to the emergency room. And for those patients who have asthma, I make sure I go over their what's known as their asthma action plan because these children are quite um, can can be quite brittle, and with these viral illnesses going around, they are the ones who are most af- af- um, affected. But I'm, when I was in training, there was a pediatrician who gave me what I feel is one of the best advice I've ever had, which is 
always trust parental gut. If a parent is standing in front of you and they're saying there is something wrong with their kid, trust the parental gut. And I don't like dissuading parents from going to the emergency room if they feel that there is something seriously ill with their child. If there's something seriously ill with, so if you feel there's something seriously wrong with your child, go to the emergency department. But it also helps to be armed with, to be pre-armed with knowledge, um, which is why I say talk to your family doctor, your pediatrician, pharmacist, nurse practitioner, 811, about what you need to look out for um, to, to before going to the emergency room. And with the increase in what we're seeing uh, of uh, RSV and uh, with the other viruses that are going around, uh, we can see why these are busy places. But uh, and, and I know people are triaged, but I also understand that can be pretty stressful for parents if you're going to children's hospital and told, oh, the wait time is anywhere from seven to ten hours. Definitely. It's, it's tough when you have a sick kid and to have to sit in those waiting rooms for, and I, I've done it myself as a parent, to have to sit there for seven, eight, ten hours um, with a sick child is, is anxiety-provoking. So um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that any parent would sit there for 12 hours when they actually don't feel that they need to be there. So it's, we are in this, um, this big rise of these respiratory viruses. So a lot of children are sick. So the main thing would be when we're looking at these, these, these wait times is to make sure that the biggest thing is to not get sick, which is easier said than done. But we do know from past respiratory virus seasons and from almost three years in, in a respiratory viral pandemic is, you know, we need to make sure we're wearing masks, we're staying home and sick, we're washing our hands, we're making sure everything is well ventilated, and we're vaccinating to the maximum vaccine that we are eligible for. All right. Good advice as we are dealing with all of this at once. Dr. Wolak, thank you so much again for joining us and for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. 1236 on this Friday afternoon. Well, Federal Transport Minister Omar Algabra says he's going to hold a summit next week. This is to address the upcoming holiday season. As we know, he's also been talking about masking on planes and trains. The federal government saying that it is recommended, but they are not going to be moving to any kind of mandate at this point. The minister also in town today talking about investments in marine emergency preparedness, as well as the next phase of the Oceans Protection Plan. And Minister Omar Algabra joins us now to talk more about all of these things. Thank you so much for being, w- for being with us today. It's great to be back with you in Vancouver and on your show. You were in town or are in town talking about marine emergency preparedness as well as the Oceans Protection Plan. Can you talk a little bit uh, about what was announced earlier today? Uh, indeed. Um, today, I was with Minister Murray and Minister Wilkinson uh, talking, uh, offering more details about the announcement that the Prime Minister made earlier in the summer, which is the renewal of the Oceans Protection Plan. The Oceans Protection Plan was first launched in 2016 with a $1.5 billion at the time to enhance the safety of our coastal lines and cooperation and co-management with indigenous leaders and indigenous communities and coastal communities. Uh, Earlier in the summer, the prime minister and I, and also Minister Murray, announced that we are renewing it. And today, I offered more details 
So today I announced $1.2 billion that includes 29 initiatives to further uh, achieve those objectives of keeping our water safe, increasing uh, uh, monitoring and surveillance, and enhancing and strengthening our emergency response mechanisms, and certainly doing that with collaboration and co-management with Indigenous communities. What would you say the biggest weaknesses are or challenges when protecting our waterways and our oceans? Well, uh, you know, there. first of all, I would say uh, climate change. Climate change is having a significant impact on the ecosystems and on our oceans. Um, so that's one thing. Second, certainly, um, you know, traffic, vessel traffic uh, on our oceans and the risks sometimes that they pose either to the ecosystem, to, uh, to endangered species. So um, we need to make sure that we're adaptive to the new reality of climate change, but also prepared and responsive to potential uh, 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 risks or accidents that may happen. All right. Uh, Minister, I wanted to ask you as well, uh, while you're here uh, and uh, joining us today, a couple of other uh, things going on. I know you were talking earlier about a summit that you are going to be holding, a summit next week, and this is addressing the holiday travel season to make sure we don't see the chaos at major Canadian airports that we've seen in these past few months. Who is going to be at that summit and what is the goal of that summit? So, Jill, as you recall, um, um, this past summer, as we are coming out of um, COVID public health measures and travel restrictions, we had a really, really busy summer season, travel season, and we certainly saw that the, 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 the air sector, the aviation sector, was ill-prepared for this massive increase in volume. We saw delays at airports, flight cancellations, flight delays, and they were really unacceptable. Um, passengers got caught in, in these delays and cancellations. So uh, first, I want to say that the industry and the government work together to uh, address operational issues, including labor shortage. And I'm pleased to see that today's performance record is similar to what it was pre-pandemic. Now, having said that, we should not lose sight of what had happened, and there are several lessons to be learned. Second, we need to be prepared for the next wave of busy season, which is the Christmas season. So indeed, I am hosting an air uh, sector summit on Thursday, next Thursday, that will include representation from airlines, it will include representation from airports, it will include representation from workers um, and, and other stakeholders. And the idea is to bring everyone at one table and say, okay, what lessons have we learned? What fundamental or structural changes other than operational changes do we need to do? And second, what can we do together to make sure that we are prepared for the Christmas uh, uh, rush season? Uh, and, but if we have the Christmas rush season, which is essentially a month away from now, if we're talking about things like staffing levels at airports or on airlines, uh, CATSA members, screening officials, uh, how will a summit next week address those issues and address them in time for that Christmas season or that holiday season, which is going to be underway in a month? Indeed, and the work, uh, Jill, has been ongoing for a while. This summit will be the culmination of much of the preparation work that has been happening at an official level, at staff level, even on bilateral meetings that I myself have been having with different airlines and different airports. So uh, the work is not going to start 
with the summit. In fact, I would like to believe that the summit is going to um, have some outcomes and some conclusions based on the ongoing conversations and discussions. But I can assure you, in all of my meetings over the last few months with airlines, with airports, my message has been clear. We cannot see what we saw last summer be repeated again this Christmas. It was a, it was, it was a clear message that I sent to everyone, including Transport Canada, including NAV Canada, including CATSA, and including airlines and airports. So this has been an ongoing process, uh, Joe. And when you talk about those lessons to be learned and the agencies that you just listed, that chaos that we saw at airports, how much of that was because of, of governments perhaps not anticipating that thirst for people to get back traveling, uh, for the federal government not realizing that people, we were going to see those numbers? Let me just be very clear. Airports and airlines operate independent from governments. Um, and uh, governments rely on information that is provided to us from by airlines and airports. What was clear is that um, the surge in travel, which, by the way, was over 300% in a very short period of time, has caught or created an imbalance between the demand that exists and the ability for airlines and airports to provide the service that is needed for that demand. Um, so what w- w- I personally discovered that there are several gaps in how communication and information is being shared between the various stakeholders in the industry, between airlines and airports, CASA, NAF Canada, and Transport Canada. So these gaps need to be filled to ensure that forecasting, um, uh, volume predictions, ongoing operational issues, not only kept to one organization, that that information is shared across the sector. And uh, Minister, you mentioned yesterday as well that you had spoken with uh, the country's top doctor, Dr. Teresa Tam, and uh, had agreed that uh, the best way, uh, the best action right now would be a mask encouragement, not a mandate. Can you talk a little bit more about that conversation and what led you uh, to to that that finding that there would not be a mandate, but it would be uh, more of a recommendation? Yes. Look, uh, over few, the last months of COVID, um, throughout COVID, governments, provincial, federal, municipal, made extraordinary decisions to protect the health and safety of everyone. Today, we are, as we are coming out of the acute phase of COVID, but that does not mean that COVID is not with us. In fact, we're hearing about a lot of pressure and stresses that our hospitals, that our healthcare system are facing because of COVID and other infectious diseases. So it's, it's important, while we recognize that we're coming out of the acute phase, that, that we know that COVID is still with us. But what we're seeing today is that it's really important to maintain individual responsibility and raise awareness instead of reverting to mandate. We, we had to make those tough decisions at the time. Today, we're saying we're providing more information to the public. We're providing advice to the public. We're relying on also advice of the local health agencies and the federal health agencies. And they all tell us wearing masks helps. Wearing masks reduce transmission. So we are still strongly recommending individuals who are in indoor spaces and tight spaces wear masks. But the decision is for now 
there is no need for a mandate. We keep relying on individual responsibility um, to, for, for the individual to choose uh, to wear a mask. All right, Minister, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you so much for your time, though, and thank you for coming on the program. Thank you very much, Jill. Thanks for being with us. Uh, Just a reminder, we're giving away some tickets, and it's at a bit of a different time today. If you've been following along this week, we've been doing that in the final hour of the program. Just a hint, it might be happening before then. So stay tuned if you're hoping to win a pair of tickets to check out Highcroft, that is, for the holidays. You get to pick the event of your choice. Should also mention coming up a little bit later today, we are going to check in with a banking lawyer who has turned wine professional, and she is going to be our new wine expert and join us about once a month with a monthly wine segment. This is in addition to Richard Wolak, who joins us to talk about restaurants and we talk books as well. So today's topic is wine and we're going to talk about wines of BC and that's coming up a little bit later in the show. Right now though, let's find out about the cash that David Eby was handing out on his first day on the job. The swearing-in took place earlier today and then some pretty big announcements. Joining us to break that down is Rob Shaw, political correspondent with Czech News. Rob, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, I know it's been a very busy day with the swearing in and then some questions for the new premier. But tell us a little bit about what was announced to the BC Hydro rebate and the BC affordability credits. Yeah, well, you know, the BC Hydro rebate, although announced with a bit of fanfare in you know the new premier's speech, is not actually new. It was something that John Horgan mentioned in August and then again in September. And it's just taken this time for, uh, I guess, Hydro and others to figure out it's a $100 credit on your bill, which is going to kick in automatically in December. You also get it if you're a Fortis customer. So that is one part of it. There was also an announcement of a, a sort of extra affordability credit that will depend on your income. So it could be somewhere between... Uh, $164 a person or $410 for a family, but it depends on your income level. It's targeting lower income people. And that is uh, something that you'll have to check in on because it'll depend on your family's income starting in January. So those were the two sort of things he announced, but he also laid out you know, an agenda essentially for a crime plan on Sunday and then housing legislation on Monday. So it was not the kind of um, you know, ceremony that is normally just a swearing in. It was actually uh, quite a few news items as well. Well, I'm glad you said that because I wasn't, uh, not that I wasn't paying attention, but I was kind of of that mind thinking it's going to be the ceremonial swearing in and uh, all of that will happen. But I, I was caught off guard a little bit as well by all of the actual news and announcements that came out of it. Yeah, I think, you know, David Eby has this man of action moniker that's been put on him by supporters. And it's sort of a blessing and a curse. I mean, he has a lot to live up to. And so he couldn't just get sworn in here without having action. And he says repeatedly he wants to hit the ground running. So he's now on the ground. The ground has been hit. The running must commence. And he's laid out at least a few days of running uh, ahead of him. So I think that was the pressure on him to to sort of do something. The question is going to be, is it enough? Uh, and are, does it accomplish sort of the public demand on crime and solutions for tent cities? Does it accomplish the health care crisis that everyone has? Does it, it, it accomplish sort of the pressure points that exist for governments? And 
we're not sure what his plans there are and how long they're going to take. He said today, this is the beginning. He wants to show people visible uh, progress and show them where he's planning on going, but it will take time to actually achieve it. So I don't think he could have gone into this swearing in without doing the things that he did today after saying for quite some time that he wants to, uh, he's you know excited to get uh, working as quickly as possible. And how about the the timeline, though, for doing this? We know there was a bit of a delay in the legislature because of the swearing in and the transition to the new premier. Uh, so how are they going to kind of cram all of this in, or is that going to be an issue? Well, it is going to be an issue for them because they chose to cancel a week of the session this week, even though everyone was in Victoria anyways. And so they're left with four days to pass what is expected to be two pieces of legislation. And the legislation takes at least three days legally to pass. So more than likely what they're going to have to do here is flex their majority and ram these bills through. They're offering to sit later to accommodate more debate from the opposition parties, but the opposition parties will never be happy. They'll just run the clock out. So that it is going to be a, a bit of an issue. People are going to wonder why, if these are so important, um, you know, they're coming so late in a transition that took a month. But in the big scheme of things, they're happening. And I think, you know, David Eby is achieving mostly the launch that he was hoping for here and delivering on the areas, I think, that he really knew he needed to target. You mentioned as well that he talked about this Sunday, there's going to be an announcement. So what are we expecting to hear from him on Sunday? So Sunday is his public safety plan. And he said in the short term, he really wants to show some visible progress on the tents, uh, tent encampments in Vancouver, and also the issue of prolific offenders with working with prosecutors, working with other folks, the police. So I think that the, the idea there is to sort of um, clean up a little bit of what we're seeing. And then short to, uh, sorry, medium to long term, he wants to focus on housing, the SROs, the hotels, and the larger homeless issues. So that's the Sunday plan. We'll be watching to see if there's a directive to crown prosecutors for prolific offenders, try to keep them in, in, uh, in containment for longer, in, uh, in detention and remand. Um, but the government's argued that might not be constitutional to make that declaration. So there might be an artful way around that. And then we'll see if there's more money for prosecutors and more money for police. And certainly Ken Sim will be watching that closely um, with David Eby's plan to take over the downtown east side, sort of directly affecting his promise of 100 new police officers uh, to clean that area up as well. Did you notice a difference having covered this and David Eby, the uh, housing minister or the attorney general, now David Eby, the premier, and with the added responsibility that comes with that, did you notice a change in him? Well, I mean, I I think today he was a bit more emotional than he's been in the past. And especially during his swearing in, he he choked up a couple of times talking about his family, his wife and his two kids were there. And also John Horgan, who he said, uh, E.B. had a line where he said, I'm not nearly as tall as I look because I'm standing on the shoulders of John Horgan. And he got emotional there. Um, you know, the the challenge for him will continue to be the public sees him as a big, tall guy in a suit who talks about really serious, boring topics like money laundering and ICBC. And in reality, you know, having spent a lot of time with him, he's actually quite funny and quite uh, interesting and has a, a quick sense of humor. So I think he has to continue to humanize himself that way uh, in the public's mind to convince them that he is more than just a guy in a suit. And John Horgan leaves big shoes to fill as the most popular premier in probably 50 years. Um, so I don't think we saw a full different side of him today, but I expect they're going to make an attempt to show us that side 
uh, in the months ahead. And uh, like you said, too, with all of these announcements, uh, with the credits and the affordability credit announced today, we're going to hear about this uh, public safety on Sunday. He's making a lot of promises that if he doesn't follow through, people are going to see right through that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, like (laughs) the government in the last, I'd say, eight months has done pretty much absolutely nothing other than spin and tell people that things are, you know, not as bad as they think. And don't worry, we've, you know, inserted X number of dollars over X number of years into Y programs. And the liberals have, to their credit, I think, eviscerated government on that. They've said, yeah, well, that's great, but show us the results. We have longer wait times in healthcare. Cancer services are taking forever. Crime is up. Like, I think that disconnect has really benefited the opposition parties and hurt the government. And EB's challenge will be to show visible actual quantifiable results now not 10-year plans five-year hr plans two-year plans and that that really he's going to be judged on that an immediate uh action in the next few months and uh he's i think that's the bar that has been set for him better or for worse it's an opportunity to swing big to get actual results and i don't think money is going to be an issue either so uh, He's got some, you know, items in his corner uh, in trying to solve these issues. All right. Uh, Rob, I know it's been a very busy day for you uh, following this. So thank you so much for taking the time with us. Anytime. Take care. You too.